Turn your Bibles, if you would, to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. You know, James is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, In the teen class, we actually spent the whole year of 2010 studying it from beginning to end. And I think what makes James so attractive to me is his no-nonsense approach to things. Things are just very black and white to James. Uh, James says, if you claim to be a Christian, this is what it looks like. Um, If you claim to have faith, then show it. And many people simply think of James sometimes as maybe just a, uh, a book about practical Christian living and that's it. But there's much more to the book of James than just that. Actually, if I was asked to sum up James, or maybe to pick out a verse that might serve as James' central theme, uh, I would pick this one. And this is James 1.22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James has a tremendous concern uh, for the readers of this letter to never be deceived about their faith. Because we read at the end of chapter 2 that faith without works, it's a dead faith, it's a non-saving type of faith, it's a non-existent faith. So our actions prove what we truly believe, right? And I think we can all agree to that. So what does James do? He gives us examples of these actions. He gives us illustrations of a true and living faith so we can evaluate our own lives when it comes to this and what this looks like. Uh, He shows us how Christians should respond to trials. He shows us how a Christian should respond to temptation. He shows us how a Christian should be impartial concerning his brothers and sisters in Christ. He shows us how a Christian should handle his speech. He shows us how a Christian should view uh, his life uh, concerning planning for the future. He shows us how a Christian should not be friends with the world. But probably one of the most uh, or more noticeable and most basic marks or basic characteristics of a Christian is what we would find here in verses 19 through 25, and that is this, how we receive and ultimately respond to the Word of God in our lives. Uh, Verse 18 in chapter 1 leads us in here where James says that we are begotten by the Word of truth, in other words, God's holy Word. Uh, All conversions... Yours, mine, everybody's. It doesn't take place apart from God's Word. Whether we hear it, whether we read it, God's Word is used as the instrument of our understanding concerning our new birth and the spiritual growth that should occur after that. Uh, Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And I think we all understand the importance of God's Word in here. Uh, This isn't anything new to you guys. But James wants us to take a closer look maybe this morning at evaluating the way that we are truly receiving it in our lives and the way that we're truly responding to it. So let's go to our text. Verses 19 through 25. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the ingrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was." But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning, Father. We just ask that you would open up our hearts to your word, help us to apply it to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So the first thing that James gives us here is how to properly receive God's word in our lives. Uh, Verses 19 through 21, we find five commands here for having a receptive heart concerning the word of God. And the first three of these commands we're all really familiar with. Um, The first three of these commands have kind of been secularized by people today. And um, many people that are familiar with them, they seem to to limit them to just kind of a nice principle for getting along well with people. And they are, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. And while they are good and true for the purpose of getting along with people, that's not really the primary application here. James has a deeper and more relevant purpose for the believer in mind. James is telling us that this should be our approach to Scripture. When it comes to the Word of God, we should be swift to hear, we should be slow to speak, and we should be slow to wrath. James is letting us know that there's a deeper approach when it comes to the scriptures. It's a careful approach, and it must be a receptive approach. Whether it's the preaching of scripture, whether it's the teaching of scripture, whether it's the reading of scripture, whether it's the the counsel that we receive based in scripture, there is a proper type of receiving that should take place. There's a certain type of attitude that we must have when we are engaged with God's truth. So number one, if you have your outline there, number one, it says a receptive heart concerning the word, and letter A is must be swift to hear. One of the greatest blessings, I think, as a parent is, of course, the birth of a child. Uh, Many of you in here are parents, so I would think that you would agree with that uh, until, of course, the kid gets a little bit older, and then you think, well, maybe it wasn't such a good idea. Um, I'm just kidding. But the excitement and the anxiety involved are overwhelming to say the least. And as that child comes into the world, one of the first things that happens is the baby has a desire to be nourished. Babies desire the need for food. And when babies don't get food, they let you know, right? Uh, babies, they don't, they don't play around when they're, they're going to miss mealtime. Uh, because... A baby that does not desire to eat, a baby that um, uh, does not desire that nourishment is a sign of a non-thriving or an unhealthy child. Um, And one of the first questions that a doctor uh, may ask is, is the baby eating, right? He would say, is the baby eating? That may be the first thing because... If a baby's not eating, that probably means that there's something wrong with it. And uh, for us as Christians, Peter says that we should desire the sincere milk of the word. And the word is important and it's even crucial for our spiritual development to take place. And a mark of a genuine faith is someone who is swift to hear and eager to hear this, someone that desires that. Um, and if someone is not having that desire, then that may mean that there's something wrong. There's something going on there. John chapter 8, verse 47 says, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. So we should have a healthy diet of God's word in our lives. Uh, and you guys know what this looks like. It's, it's reading our Bibles. It's coming to Sunday school to hear teaching. It's coming to church to hear the preaching. Maybe it's even replacing some of the, the mindless pop culture that we often tend to bury ourselves with, with something that will actually cause some growth in our lives. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. 
So that's the first thing that we could really ask ourselves. Do we truly desire God's word? Are we, are we quick to hear it? Do we take advantage of opportunities to surround ourselves with God's word? A characteristic of a healthy Christian is someone who desires God's word. Uh, someone who desires to grow by it and is eager to do so. And this is basic, this is basic fundamental step one type stuff here. If there is no desire to hear God's word, then there's a problem there. So eagerness for God's word is step one of a proper reception of it. And secondly, James tells us that we must be slow to speak. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. I believe that one of the major problems in our society today is that we are definitely not slow to speak, are we? Um, Jewish people used to say that if a word was worth one shekel, that silence is worth two. And I think we've all heard the saying that we have two ears but one mouth because we need to be listening twice as much as talking, right? But this is often advice that we don't follow. And maybe the reason for this is because we have a very high opinion of ourselves. We want to be heard. We we think that our opinions and thoughts matter, and everybody else really needs to hear that. Um, Have you ever been in a conversation with someone, and you're you're standing there, and you're talking to them, and the whole time they're there, they're kind of looking around, and they're they're just waiting to talk again? Have you ever seen that, Or, or maybe been a part of that? Well... There's no way when we can, that we can hear what someone is truly saying when we're more concerned on what we want to say, what we have to say. And I don't think I have to tell you guys that this is not going to be a very effective way to approach the Word of God. Being more concerned with your ideas, with your thoughts, with your words more so than God's words. Uh, I've known people that uh, have been sitting in church during sermons, during teachings of God's Word, who have actually quit listening and stood up and spoke their mind uh, about stuff, about maybe they didn't care for some truth that was being told. And of course, I don't think anyone in here would do such a thing. Um, but if you are, maybe wait till the next hour. Uh, <laughs> Brother Dalton, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but we must safeguard ourselves against speech, really, that would occur inside of our minds as well. Um, when approached with Scripture, we should be slow to speak because we, whether we're speaking audibly or inside our heads, we aren't listening, and the danger may exist that we may even speak out against Scripture. Proverbs 29.20 says, Seest thou a man that is hasty in his words, there is more hope of a fool than of him. So, talking, passing notes, texting, maybe even thinking the entire time when you're sitting in church about what I'm going to do afterwards, uh, that's not being slow to speak. We are not hearing the word of God, and we're robbing ourselves of the benefits and the blessings that would come from it. But even more so, we're basically saying that our thoughts and our plans, our opinions, our words, are more important than the opportunity that exists for the Holy Spirit to guide us, to comfort us, to convict us, and maybe even possibly save us by the hearing of his word. So we must be slow to speak in that respect. Uh, But it also means don't be quick or hasty to have your mind made up about something that there maybe is a chance or a risk that you're wrong about. For example, some people are very quick to talk, talk about things concerning God as if it's true when in fact it's not found in Scripture at all. And we know many televangelists that do that today. Uh, 
But we, re- we must remember what James said in chapter 3, verse 1, about the added responsibility that we have when we take on uh, speaking on behalf of God. He said, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. So when we speak on behalf of God, we must be slow to speak. It doesn't mean not to speak, because we should be sharing, we should be teaching, we should be preaching. But we need to carefully consider what is being said to the more impressionable and eager ears that are listening. So while we receive the word of God, we must be swift to hear, but slow to speak. But also to receive God's word properly, we must be slow to wrath. And this is C on your outline. James says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So first, I guess we should clarify this. This is not a a righteous wrath that we find sometimes in the Bible. This is a, a wrath that comes from sin. And we know this by reading verse 20. That says, The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So what does it mean to be slow to wrath? Well, It means exactly what it sounds like. It means to be slow to anger in our personal, everyday lives, but also when facing the truth of God's Word. Uh, Personal anger, bitterness, resentment can never serve the cause of Christ when it comes to Scripture revealing truth to us. Uh, And it's easy to get mad about stuff, right? I mean, we all do it. We all get mad about stuff. Uh, But we should never get mad or angry about what God's Word would reveal to us. Uh, and, and I've seen people also in church who would get mad at a preacher because he said something, he spoke some truth of God's word, and it, it would come in conflict with, with someone's belief or someone's lifestyle, and, and it makes people mad. People get mad about that. Uh, this isn't something new. This has always been the case. Paul addressed this to the church in Galatia after telling them some things that, that were uncomfortable for them to hear. Chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You see, Paul was still preaching the same message. He was still earnestly contending for the truth of the gospel. And if this made him their enemy, then their position had turned into a dangerous position for them to be in. You see, we never have the right to get mad at the preacher when he speaks truth that comes from God's word. Or even when he may give us biblical-based counsel concerning something going on in our life, some sin that we have going on. Uh, I know in my own life I've, I've, I've wanted to hide under my seat sometimes uh, of shame during preaching, but I've always understood that I never had a right to be mad at what God's Word would reveal about me because I'm the imperfect one. God is the perfect one. I'm the sinner. Christ is the Savior. I'm the lawbreaker, and He's the lawgiver. But also not being slow to wrath kind of creates another problem for us. Uh, Anger, bitterness, resentment, malice. It all really has a way of clouding your judgment when it comes to understanding God's word. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 8 says, But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Angry and bitter Christians can never properly receive God's word because of their pride. Anger and bitterness that comes from that pride, it always seems to uh, preoccupy people's hearts and minds instead of the humility that's needed to properly submit to God's word. And, and there's just some people that just don't want to give that up. How many times have 
Maybe we come to church. Maybe we come to church mad sometimes. Maybe something going on at our home. Maybe something going on at our job. We've come to, to church and we've been angry about something. Even mad maybe at someone here. Maybe even someone sitting on the same aisle as you. But when we go around living life short-tempered like that and, and, and quick to anger, that really gives the wrong idea to people about Christianity in general, doesn't it? And that anger is going to have a negative effect on not only our testimony, but also the divine engagement we encounter with the Word of God unless we're willing to give that anger up. Verse 20 says that the wrath of man does not produce the kind of righteousness in our lives that God expects. So just like being quick to hear and slow to speak, being slow to wrath means putting God's Word, putting God's will before ours, including our anger that comes from our pride. Uh, Anger, including all other unrepented types of sin, will act as a hindrance to us in our reception to God's word as well as our response to it. And this is where James goes in the very next verse. Uh, And this is letter D on the outline. Must take off the sin. Verse 21, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. So James says that a receptive heart is a morally clean heart. It's a heart that, while engaged in the word of truth, is willing to seek forgiveness and is willing to put off the sin in this person's life. And um, the allusion here may may be there in verse 21, may be to take off sin in our life, to put our sin off, much in the same way that we would do it with dirty clothes. uh, To do away with, to rid ourselves with, to lay them aside. Uh, If you remember... And uh, Joseph in uh, Zechariah chapter 3, where he stood before the angel in those filthy clothes. And those clothes, they, they were not to be cleaned, they were not to be washed, but they were to be totally removed from him. And these removal, this removal of these filthy clothes is a symbol of the removal of sin that had occurred. The laying aside and the taking off of sin is what James is addressing here in our text. He's saying, get rid of the sin in your life. He's saying, put it to the side, do away with it, get rid of the sin when you come into the place of reception concerning God's word. And it's common knowledge, I think, for most of us that we understand that most sin, most sin uh, does derive from the pride of our life. uh, And that's why James gives us the fifth way that we must receive the word of truth, and that is we must receive it humbly. And this is E on your outline. We must receive the word humbly. Verse 21, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. James tells us that we must finally receive the engrafted or implanted word in us with meekness. The word meekness is it's a cool word. Uh, coming from Kentucky, we have a lot of horses there. Um, I don't really like horses, but we have horses there. Um, and there's sometimes, uh, there's a term there used concerning the process of breaking horses or making them suitable to, to be ridden and put a saddle on, and it's called meeking. And when meeking takes place, the horse's natural will has been broken by its master, and therefore it can take on uh, the will, the desire of the master. It is now submissive to be corrected, to be trained, to be guided, to be led. But at the same time, the meeked horse is, is fed by the master, provided for by the master, loved and cared for by the master in a way that it was never able to do on its own. And James says that we must receive God's word of truth in meekness. 
William McDonald says in his commentary, Another requirement for the reception of divine truth is meekness. It is all too possible to read the Bible without letting it speak to us. We can study it in an academic way without being affected by it. Our pride and hardness and sin make us unreceptive and unresponsive. Only those with submissive, humble spirits can expect to derive the maximum benefit from the scriptures. And I know for me this is the case, but how many times have, have we let our pride get in the way of, of letting the, the word of God penetrate our hearts when we read it, when we listen to it, um, when we're here at church, um, when we're hearing the preaching? We've let our own foolish pride, our own personal pride, our own sin get in the way from us fully letting that soak in and absorbing that. The old Scottish preacher said, Sin will keep you from the Bible, or the Bible will keep you from sin. And that's a choice that we make every time that we are engaged with Scripture. So we must be humble in our approach. First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 5 um, says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. So we must receive the engrafted word with meekness. So those are the five commands that James gives us in order to properly receive God's word. And we can know that we have a receptive heart concerning God's word when we are swift to hear it, when we're quick to hear it, we want to hear it, we desire that, when we're slow to speak against it, when we're slow to be angered by it, when we put aside uh, the sin in our life before it, and when we receive it in humility. But it doesn't end with the receiving part. That's only the first part of this. We also have to, once we receive it, we have to respond to it. There's a proper response of the word of truth as well. So there's receiving and then there's responding. And you can't really receive the word without properly responding to it. And you can't respond to it if you haven't properly received it. The two really should go hand in hand. Uh, Verse 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So first, we need to make sure that we realize that James is he's not telling us here that there's anything wrong with the hearing part. He's not saying that. He says to not be hearers only. He's telling us that our knowledge, our good listening, our study isn't enough. We must put all of that into action. We must respond to it. We must make the word noticeable in our lives. It's never enough for us to simply receive the implanted word, but we must respond to it as well. And what type of response that is is going to tell us a lot about the faith that we have. Uh, James tells us that the correct response for someone who claims to be a Christian is to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Christianity is more than just Bible knowledge, more than just academic Bible knowledge. It's more than just knowing the right answers, and it's more than being... Uh, For some of us that's grown up in church, it's more than just being all too familiar with the things that we've heard our whole lives. And all all those things are, are profitable for us, they're good for us. James says that we must live what we know. And if we're depending on the knowledge part alone, that we are actually deceiving ourselves. So if you look at two there on your outline, a responsive heart concerning the word first is not deceived. When we submit ourselves to God's word and allow it to work in us, that will be visible 
not only to ourselves, but to others, and James would call that being a doer of the word. He illustrates this, um, this, this concept in chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, and he says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So true faith is visible. It's acting on what we know to be true. Jesus said we prove our love for him when we do what? When we do what he says. John 14, 15, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And in Matthew chapter 7, he shows us what we prove when we don't do that, when we don't, uh, or we're not obedient according to his words. Uh, chapter 7 of Matthew, verses 26 and 27. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So we must understand that we must be doers of the word. I think we all understand that we're not saved by being doers of the word. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith alone. But as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So a responsive heart is one that is not deceived about being a hearer only, but understands it must be a doer as well. It must be obedient as well. Secondly, James says that a truly responsive heart is not forgetful. And this is B. A truly responsive heart is not forgetful. In order to properly respond to God's word, we must not be forgetful concerning it. How many times have we come to church... um, and I get these great, these great ideas here because it always happens to me. But how many times have we come to church, we hear this wonderful sermon, and we walk out the doors, and we totally forget everything that we just heard before lunch is over? Am I the only one that that's happened to? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> or, how many to- or how many times have, we, have we, we laid down at bed at night, and we can't even remember anything that we read in our morning devotion? We can't remember any of that. James tells us that we must not be forgetful or even neglectful about what the Word of God would reveal to us. In verses 23 and 24, he gives us this great illustration about a man and a mirror. And he says, For if any be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. When we forget or we neglect what has been revealed to us about ourselves and choose not to change it. We are like this man who who looks in the mirror, he notices something about himself, and then he walks away and does nothing about it. When um, we first moved out here, I remember getting everything ready. You know, you got to get everything transferred and all that stuff. And I remember waking up one morning, and I was getting ready to go run some errands, and I cut myself shaving. Now, men, what do we do sometimes? We take a piece of Kleenex, and we stick it there, right? And you get this big bloody Kleenex on your face. And as I looked in the mirror, mirror, the mirror, I told myself, Jared, you cannot forget that that's on there before you go do all this stuff. You just cannot forget that that's on there. But what happened? <laughs> I forgot, right? 
You already see where this is going. I got preoccupied with things. I got busy with other stuff, and I totally forgot about it. And it wasn't until I had been to the bank, I stopped by the post office, I went to the store, I even decided, you know, since I'm out, I'll go get something to eat as well. And it wasn't until I got back in my car and I looked in the rearview mirror, and to my horror, the, the bloody Kleenex was still on my face. So it was, it was not my best day, to say the least. But how many times, seriously, you guys, how many times have we sat right here and the Word of God has revealed something to us, something personal in our lives, maybe that we need to be more loving, maybe that we need to be more forgiving, maybe that we need to be uh, a better parent, maybe a, a more obedient teenager, maybe there's areas in our life where we need to stop sinning, maybe there's areas where we really need to start serving and we tell ourselves that we need to change these things in our life, and maybe even decide that we will change, but we walk right through those doors like it never even happened. Until a week later, we come back here, and we open up the Word again, and things are revealed to us again. So to properly respond to God's Word, we must not neglect what has been revealed to us about ourselves. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 says... Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So we must hold fast to the things that have been revealed to us, allow the word of God and the Holy Spirit to change us and make us closer to that image of Christ Jesus. So a responsive heart doesn't neglect, it doesn't forget what has been taught. And lastly, in order to properly respond to God's word, we must have a heart that is continuing therein. And that's C there on your outline. It's continuing therein. Verse 25, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Verse 24, God's word is compared to a mirror that we look in. Verse 25 here, he calls it the perfect law of liberty. James is telling us that this man who continues or is consistent, who doesn't forget, who doesn't neglect what he's learned, and is a doer of God's word, is a man who is blessed by God. Obedience to God finds favor with God when it's a result of a true and living faith. It's God's will that we would be obedient to his word. And if you're a Christian and you're here today, you are one that should be obedient and responding to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 says, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. A true Christian is obedient to God's word. He doesn't neglect it, but he continues to live his life in light of what has been revealed to him through its teachings, through its commands, through its admonishments, and through its grace. Paul's advice to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 16, echoes this. He said, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. We are expected to continue living in what we're learning, not just for a season, not just while we're here in this building, not just during the week except for Friday and Saturday nights, not just around certain groups of people, not just when times are easy. We must continue therein. And what does it say about this person? There at the end of verse 25, he shall be blessed in his deed. 
And I think we all understand the importance of God's Word this morning. This isn't news to you guys. I don't think anyone in here would ever deny that. But what I hope we've been able to do is maybe to evaluate, maybe to gauge what our true attitude is concerning it this morning. Um, If you're here and you truly do desire the Word of God in your life, then uh, you're, you're quick to take every opportunity to hear it. You allow it to reveal truth to you. You allow it to bring you into a closer uh, fellowship with Christ, then that should be great assurance for you. It really should be. It should be great assurance that your faith is real and that it's genuine. But maybe you're here today and, and maybe you struggle with the receiving part. Uh, maybe you struggle with the responding part. Maybe even both. Well, pray that God would make you someone who desires God's Word in their life, someone who hungers for it, someone who is submissive to it, and someone who is radically changed by it. There may not be a better test for us as Christians than our attitude toward God's Word, God's holy Word of truth. So ask yourself today, how are you receiving it in your life? How are you responding to it in your life? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time here this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Help us to receive it properly. Help us to respond to it properly, Father. And help us to get a start of that right here in this next hour. Open up our hearts to this message, Father. We pray that everything that we do here would glorify the name of Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen.